0: This opening verse of this chapter, he says he's a, a fellow elder. He's an under-shepherd, like the people he's talking to, and he's reminding the people that a, the chief shepherd, who is Jesus, is going to come. If you read uh, Hebrews thirteen seventeen, you would hear the writer of Hebrews say, "...the elders keep watch over your souls." as those who will give an account to God. So when the chief shepherd appears, one of the things that the under is going to have to do, the elder in this case Peter and those who are eldering in the the church churches that he's talking to as well as me and the elders that are here, we're going to have to give an account in Acts chapter 20:28. 20, Paul the apostle says this, "Be on your guard speaking to the elders, be on your guard For yourselves and for all the flock, which is among the Holy Spirit, at which all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer or an elder to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. So when you put these verses together, these are sobering considerations for anybody in church leadership. We As elders feel the the seriousness, the weight, the force behind these statements, we're given responsibility to shepherd souls. We're supposed to be on guard. We're supposed to keep watch like a shepherd would. Because when Christ appears, when the chief shepherd appears, one of the questions he's going to ask me is, Paul, how did you do in shepherding this flock at Christ Community Church? You, Paul, give an account for your shepherding. So that's no easy task for me. It's no easy task for the elders that are here. As as formidable as the task is of shepherding, shepherding is also one of the most familiar and beloved passages or, or metaphors in the Bible in terms of church leadership. Peter would have no doubt been familiar with these Old Testament pictures. Jacob, you remember Abraham, had a son named Isaac, Isaac. Had Jacob and Jacob had Joseph and Joseph was the one who landed in Egypt before the Exodus in the next chapter of Genesis or after Genesis. And here Jacob is he's dying and he's talking to his heir, Joseph, and he's saying. May the God before whom my father's Abraham and Isaac walk, the God who has been my shepherd all my life, and then he goes into a blessing. He's reminding his son that God has been his God and his God has been like a shepherd to him his whole life. And may God be a shepherd to you, Joseph. First, second Samuel, chapter five. The Lord said to David, you will be you will shepherd my people, Israel, and you will become their ruler. So David's going to become the king. He's going to become the ruler. But what is his rule going to look like? It's going to look like a shepherd. It's going to look like God's shepherding of God's own people. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Isaiah 40, part of which we sung here this morning. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. And then when you hear that, you want to say, well, how? He's, he's coming with power, but what is that power going to look like? And Isaiah tells you, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads them. So these are all Old Testament, and we could name a number more. But Peter certainly would have heard these words because he was in the presence of Christ when he gave them. John ten fourteen. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. I don't just know them sort of generically. No, I know them by name. I am that kind of shepherd. And we don't know what might have been in Peter's mind as he was talking about these elders who are going to be shepherds of the flock. Verse 2. But but perhaps the, the shepherding picture foremost in Peter's mind came from one of his last conversations with Jesus in John chapter 21. You will remember it. There they are on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus appears with a meal and uh, the, the disciples come back to Jesus off of the off of the sea. And here's Peter, Peter, the one who was the rock. He was the one who Christ was going to build his church on this statement. When Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, he's the one who promised that he would never leave or forsake Jesus. He would always be beside him. And yet we know what happened to Peter. And so Jesus needs to reinstate Peter as the, as the leader, the one who's going to lead the charge. And we see Peter doing that in the opening chapters of Acts. And so Jesus takes Peter aside for this little one-on-one meeting, and he asks Peter these three questions. Do you love me? And you remember each time Peter is saying, yes, I, I love you. And then Peter, Jesus responds, feed my lambs. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Then tend or or lead my sheep. Do you, Peter, do you really love me? Yes. Then then feed. Feed my lambs. Peter, you're gonna be the leader. You're gonna be the under shepherd and you have to feed and lead. Those are the primary responsibilities for you as an elder. You understand that man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. So you're gonna have to be a proclaimer of this word when, when your congregation gets around you. You've got to feed them and the feeding that they must have must be the word of God. So I, I need you to feed them, but not just feed them the Word of God. You've got to walk the talk. You've got to to practice what you preach. So when you, the under-shepherd, you're following after the Word of God. When people follow after you, Peter, I want to make sure they end up right here. You can't just be proclaiming the Word. You also have to be practicing the Word. So, Peter, are you prepared? You as this elder, you as this person who's going to hand off this leadership to the next generation, which is what he's doing here in chapter 5, Are you going to feed and lead? So I think Peter probably has this discussion in mind as he comes to this particular text. As he begins to find himself, he's at the end of his life. And he's at the end of this chapter or in this end of this letter. And he wants to make sure the under shepherds that are in these churches are going to be feeding the flock. They're going to be teaching the word. And then they're going to be walking according to that word. So if someone were to follow an elder and just say, I don't know what it means to live for Christ. I don't know what it means to walk like Christ walked then You could walk like an elder and you could live like his life and you would find yourself at the foot of the cross. That's the kind of leadership I think Peter has in mind. You can see very easily in the text, it breaks up into three uh, easy Parts of a sermon. Peter lists three sins to which elders are particularly prone. And then he supplies an antidote. So he's looking at these. He's looking as it's so to speak in this letter. He's looking at the elders and saying, I know three sins that are uh, elders are particularly prone to. I've been particularly prone to them myself. So I want to point them out. And then I want to point out an antidote. And so I want to think about this in terms of uh, B Beware, and then be. Beware of these things, and instead of being this way, be this way. John Calvin says this in, this, in regards to this text. In exhorting the elders to their duty, duty, Peter points out three vices often found, namely sloth, desire for gain, and a lust for power. Peter chose these three things. It's not the only three things, but he understands these three things seem to have some sort of particular magnetism, uh, some particular uh, draw for people in leadership, sloth, a desire for gain or a, a lust for power. And then he gives an antidote. And so as we look at this list, you may think, well, this is going to be a great sermon if you're an elder. Or you're, it's going to be a great sermon if you think you would want to be an elder. But I, I would say it would be extremely helpful for you because you all are electing elders. And you want to say, I'm looking for people who are going to fit into this this picture. And, of course, if you're in any leadership position, these would be things that would be helpful for you to know as well. But then Peter ends in verse 5, and we'll get to that, the final Peace is, he looks then to the congregation and says, there's, there's one thing I want you to beware of as well. So let's look at those three for Peter, and then we'll finish with a final one for the congregation. First of all, beware of sloth. Beware of laziness, verse 2. Don't, don't serve under compulsion. Elders, don't be like a, a mule that needs a bit and a bridle in order to get moving. Don't, don't, have to, don't leave because somebody's behind you prodding you on. Uh, imagine being an elder in a church that Peter is talking to. Uh, on the horizon are the dark clouds of persecution. You, you felt it as a member of one of these churches. And you see that, that, that the, the clouds are growing darker. So the spiritual burden is getting heavy. And it's particularly heavy for you as an elder because you are a prime target of this persecution. You know how Peter knows when darkness closes in. When the heat gets turned up for the furnace that you find yourself in. When there's precisely a need for prayer, Peter understands from firsthand experience how easy it is. Just at that moment when we really need somebody to stand there with backbone and pray how easy it is in leadership to fall asleep. See, Peter's personally aware of that. And you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when that happened for him. So Peter understands when when the dark cloud comes, when the furnace turns up, that's the point we need an elder to step in and say, you've got to be a person who, who wouldn't tend towards sloth at that moment. You're going to have to do the hard work of praying. The flesh is, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. It's something that Peter is aware of. Again, in Acts chapter 20, when Paul is exhorting, The elders in Ephesus, he says this, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock, be shepherds of the church of God. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and they will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So, so be on guard, be alert, Paul says, see elders, there, there might be a preference for ease, there might be a preference for comfort, there might be a, a preference for sleep, there might be a preference for distraction, there might be a press preference for distance. But but beware of sloth. Instead of instead of tending towards that, instead, be willing, he says in the text. Be willing to be on your guard. Be, be willing to, to shoulder these spiritual burdens. Be willing to fight the fight that's going to come from the outside and also going to come from the inside. Be, be willing, elders, to initiate a hard conversation. Be, be willing. To make a phone call, to visit the sick, to ask the question. Be willing to pray, to study the scriptures, to, to stay late on a Sunday or some other meeting and, and, and seek out people for prayer. Be, be willing. Don't have to be prodded for that. Be willing to do that. Secondly, beware of leading for shameful gain. Peter is not saying that an elder couldn't get paid for the task of shepherding. We know that from a couple other places in the Bible, Matthew 10 and 1 Timothy 5. Jesus and Paul talk about uh, it's okay for somebody, in this case me, to do this as a job and get paid for it. So he's not saying that you couldn't do it for money. He's saying you couldn't do it in a shameful way. You couldn't do it just for shameful gain. He's saying, don't masquerade as a servant of God when really you're just serving yourself. Money can have such a, a corrosive effect. Which is why Paul in 1 Timothy, when he's giving the list of qualifications, remember what he says about an elder. He can't be a lover of. He can't be a lover of money. When a, when a leader is swayed. By money, when, when somebody takes their wallet out or their checkbook and they begin to wave money around, it's like it has a certain aroma. It has a certain magnetic effect. And somebody can be swirling money around, and you who are shepherding the flight, you might get, to get easily distracted by that, thinking that's really where the power is, and let's move in that direction. And Peter's saying, no, 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 you can't, ha- you can't have a love for money. Money can be used as a tool for many good things, but if you have a love for money, you're going to be distracted from what you're supposed to do. And when you get distracted, elder, when you, when you pull away after money, then a crack opens up and all kinds of sin rushes into the church because of your distraction. So don't be a, a lover of money. Some of you are old enough to remember the financial scandal that surrounded the PTL Club. I remember that near Charlotte, just outside of Charlotte. I remember going there, I don't know, it might have been five or so years after the whole collapse of the Jim and Tammy Faye Baker show. And they were still trying to run the hotel and that sort of thing. And it just was just was a sad I was at a conference and it was just sad because here are all these sort of half finished buildings and and you just kind of got a feeling like People really got ripped off here. People got abused. Somebody was in it just for shameful gain. One of those people was a guy named Richard Dortch. He was then the president of the PTL Club. He went to prison. And after his prison sentence was over, he wrote a book. This is what he said at one point. In the midst of the shame... I hurt the son who bore my name. And I did the most painful thing I've ever done. I sat down with him and said, Rich, I know you must do what is best for you and your family. With all that has happened, I would understand if you wanted to change your name. He's Richard. Richard. Dorch, Jr., he lives in Charlotte. He has a family, and now his dad is coming and saying, I would understand, son, if you wanted to change your name. Why? For shameful gain. See, shameful gain just turned into shame all by itself. And so Peter is, is warning. He's, he's got firsthand experience. He's not thinking about Jim Baker who, who would Peter be thinking about that somebody traded in just for money, something for shameful gain? Judas. Hey, he's, he's one of us, he's on the inside. I didn't think one of us would be the traitor, maybe somebody from the outside, maybe the Roman government, maybe the Pharisees, but no, somebody within the flock, somebody turned in to be a savage wolf. Why? Just for shameful gain. For 30 pieces of silver, I'll turn my back on the same Savior. So Peter was familiar with, no matter what context you find yourself in, whether it's 30 pieces of silver or you have the the context of a television and you can have multi-million dollars, either way, when money comes out of somebody's pocket, it has a kind of magnetic effect. And Peter is aware that if you're a lover of money, sin is going to inhabit the church. And shameful gain will eventually just turn into shame itself. Beware, beware of shameful gain. Instead, be eager. He says, "Be be eager to give, not to grab." Elders, you, you, I want you. I don't want you to be in it for yourself. I want you to be in it to give away. Uh, I, elders, I want you to memorize uh, what Jesus said in John chapter ten. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd does what? Lays his life down. For his sheep. This isn't. This isn't the picture of shameful gain. This is a picture of laying your life down. Serving. Getting underneath people. Not being on top of them. G.A. Smith writes this about the, the shepherding imagery in the Bible. On some high moor. A moor is a, an open expanse. Some high moor stands a shepherd, across which at night hyenas howl. And when you meet him, sleepless, farsighted, weather-beaten, armed, leaning on his staff and looking out over his scattered sheep, everyone on his heart. You understand why the shepherd sprang to the front of his people's history, why they gave this name to their king, why they made him the symbol This is the picture. This is the picture for, this is a passage for Paul Phillips and the other elders. Paul, beware of shameful gain. Don't think that you couldn't yourself fall into somebody coming into the church with a lot of money and, and suddenly your head gets turned. And when your head gets turned, sin runs into that crack. Beware of that. Don't think yourself better. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. What's one of the biggest problems? When, when you're encountering sin is that you think you're better than that sin. When Jesus said to Peter, Peter, you will deny me. What did Peter say? Even if everyone else does, I won't. Paul, beware of saying I wouldn't be that person. Be on guard. And instead of trying to grab, give. Be eager to give. Third, beware of a lust for power, verse 3, not domineering or not lording it over them. Again, I think Peter's instructions to the elders are coming from his own past. And you you remember the particular event that somewhere in, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus is walking around with his disciples and somehow James and John get Peter, get Jesus off to the side and they say, Jesus, we would just like you to do whatever we want. Hey, me too. I'm up for that. Jesus, can I just give you a list and whatever I want, you'll want. Imagine James and John saying, just give us whatever we want. And Jesus says, "Okay, what is it you want? Well, Jesus, we know you're the power broker. You've got the the real seat of power. And the people closest to you, they're going to have power. So we're just asking for this, just one little request. Could we have the seat on the right and the left? Because we want to be lords over everyone else. And then that escapes out somehow and gets into the rest of the disciples. And what are they? That says they're indignant, meaning they're, they're jealously angry that they didn't have the conversation first because they wanted to be in that little right and left hand. And then Jesus calls what I think might be the first genuine come-to-Jesus meeting. <laughs> so Jesus has the come-to-Jesus meeting with his disciples, and he says this, y- You know... You know those who are regarded as rulers over the Gentiles, how they lord it over, and their high officials, they exercise authority over them. You know how that works. Oh, yes, we do know how it works. And we're tired of it, but we're so excited that you've come so we could do that to everyone else. Now you can give us the seat where we can lord it over with them. That's exactly what they're hoping for. If I can get to be a position behind a pulpit, if I can get to be a position as an elder, then finally I can have control and I can dominate and I can make people do things. That's what Peter wanted. That's what John wanted. That's what James wanted. And Jesus, the one who does have the power, he says, you know how that feels. Yeah, we do. We're ready for it. Bring it on. And he says, not so with you. I mean, just listen to the air come out of the big egos. Twelve times. Not See, we're not going that way. This is the way we're going. We're not domineering. We're getting up underneath people. That's what I'm trying to tell you. That's what I'm going to display for you. When I say it to you, Peter, you're going to see it in my life. When I tell you to feed the flock, you're going to have to lead in this direction. Are you ready for that, elders? Are you ready for that, Paul Phillips? Not... So with you, instead, whoever wants to become great must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first has to be a slave to everyone else. That's the picture. It's not one of domineering. It's not one of power. For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to be served. See, the elders are supposed to be shepherds. Not cowboys. Cowboys drive the cattle. They get behind and drive them to where they want to go. Shepherds have to get out front and say, you follow me. Beware of being domineering. Instead, be, be an example. Verse 3. Peter, get out front. Clear a path. Lead and feed. But when you pray for your elders, these are the kind of character traits that you need to pray into our lives. We're not, we're not unaware of them. We're not we're not uh, unattracted to some of them at different points. Pray for me. Pray for us that we wouldn't tend towards sloth, that we wouldn't do things out of shameful gain, that we, we would be people who would... Be servants instead of people who would be domineering. Those are characteristics you're looking for for somebody that's in my position or a position of an elder. Finally, one final comment, verse 5. Notice there it says, likewise. I've been saying something about how elders should live and look. Now, likewise, I'm turning. I'm going to point to a different group. Likewise. You, you, the congregation, those who are younger, those who are underneath the elders, you have a certain thing that you're supposed to be, and that is submissive. We're familiar with this term because we've been reading through this book. Chapter 2, verse 13, Peter says, be subject to rulers. Chapter 3, verse 1, wives, be subject to your husband. You might remember the 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 fun Greek word to say "hupotasso." Just it's just fun to say "hupotasso," and so it means it's a military term: "line up under" to to fall in line. That's what he's saying. If if you're going to be a good citizen, you've got to fall in line underneath the government. That's uh, with that's over you if you're going to be a good wife you've got to fall in line with the leader of the house that's your husband if you're going to be a good congregant if you're going to be a good member you've got to fall underneath God's designed leadership for the church which is elders now obviously we're not talking about in any one of those places falling in line with somebody who's leading you away from the word of God or co- in contradiction to the word of God that's not what we're talking about but as one scholar put it this idea of submission is a is a disposition or an inclination to yield it's a disposition or it's an internal inclination to yield i see the leaders And I'm inclined to fall in line. I'm working to fall in line. I'm trying to figure out how I can get up underneath them and move in the same direction. That's my inclination as a member of the church. So in fitting with our pattern, we might say Peter is saying to the congregation, beware of a spirit of dissension or disunity. Peter wasn't perfect. The elders of the churches Peter is addressing weren't perfect. We're not perfect as elders in this church. But we know from the scriptures that the vital way in which God cares for his sheep, the way he matures and protects his people is to receive care and leadership from the elders of the local church. Let me close with just a few maybe practical ways to think about this particular effort. When you join Christ Community Church, which a number of you all will be joining in the next month, because we had a large inquires class last month, I asked this question. Do you submit to the government and discipline of Christ Community and to the spiritual oversight of the session? And do you promise to promote, to promote the unity, purity, and peace of the church? So in order to join the church, you have to say, yes, I am promising to come up under, to fall in line and to promote the unity and the peace and the purity of the church. Now, when you say this, when I say it, it applies to everyone. Meaning it also applies to me. I'm not somehow under, not underneath this same thing when when the elders get together and we make decisions it doesn't happen very often but occasionally somebody is not on the side of the decision where the majority is sometimes that's me and sometimes that's somebody else and at that point if it's me i have to submit to the ruling of the elders i get one vote and if i'm the only affirmative vote and everybody else is no then it's no and there are times that happens i leave a meeting thinking i would have chosen another way But when I leave the meeting, I have to regard what has been said in that meeting. Now, I have to leave and promote the unity of the church. I can't go out and say, gosh, they didn't do that, and boy, they'll be sorry for that and watch this happen. That's not what I have to do. My, My call is to submit. I have to submit to the authority of the leadership of the church as a member or elder of the church. When you feel the spirit of dissension, when you feel an agitation, a disagreement, when you think a poor decision has been made. I would ask you to first beware of other forces that might be driving your disagreement. When you you say, "I, I wouldn't do that, I wouldn't go that way, and it's creating this Uh, sense of anger or frustration, maybe fear, I would want you to stop first and assess yourself and say, maybe there are other forces at work in my anger or my frustration. Imagine being in this particular church. The dark clouds of persecution are on the way. Some people in your congregation have already been taken out for one reason or another. What happens to a family under stress? What can easily happen to a leader leading under stress to become domineering, to become demanding? Hey, it's hard enough out here when I get in here. Hey, every, everybody here, sit down, shut up, and just do what I say. That would be a very easy thing to happen under stress. And if you're under stress, what could happen? Dissension, disagreement. It could be another force at work in you. I've had a bad day. I walk home, and, or I, I come home, and what can happen? I walk in the door, I kick the dog, and yell at my kids. Okay, for dog lovers, I don't have a dog, okay? But you know, you know this dynamic, do you not? Totally unrelated to the family that you're walking in here. You've got all this negative movement moving through you as you walk into your home. Same thing can happen here. You could come in with a lot of stress. You could come in with a lot of pressures. And you could come in or I could come in and create all kinds of dissension. And so we just have to be aware first. It's like when Jesus said, when, when you're trying to get the speck out of somebody else's eye, what's the very first thing you need to do? Get the log out of your own eye. It's a way of saying before you're examining something else, which genuinely may may need to be changed, first look at yourself. And let's say you've done those things and you still have some sort of agitation. Something just nags at you, it just doesn't go away. I I would implore you, I would plead for you to come and talk to an elder. We don't bite. Most of us don't, I think, anyway. But, you know, it's so easy to, to let that frustration leak out in other ways, is it not? You just talk to somebody, yeah, what a dumb decision. What was Paul thinking of that? I mean, come on. It's obvious not to do that. And, and what you do, you, I don't, you may not even mean to, but you just sow a little seed of dissension. Now it's you and another person. Hmm. I mean, Paul looks real smart from up front, but maybe he's not. You know, maybe he makes these bad decisions. Maybe the maybe, And I've 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 just planted a little question mark and I go around the church and I just plant these little question marks. If you have a, an issue, the very best thing to do is to come face to face, not Facebook to Facebook. That's not the same thing. Not email to face, not text to face. Recently read an article by a group called the Gospel Coalition. Had an interesting title. Should I start a grassroots movement to change my church? It was asked of a panel of preachers. And you can guess what they all said. No. No. No, you shouldn't. And no, you shouldn't. Because typically a grassroots movement is, in other words, the leadership's not doing what I want, so I'll go get the grass to go and go where I want. It's a good article. I'll send it to you later in the week in the newsletter. There are real places of uh, discussion, and maybe if you come to us, we can provide some clarity because, you know, there's lots of things you don't know. You've been in that situation, have you not? You Sure, that's the right thing to do. And then somebody gives you new information, you go, oh, hey, I didn't know that. That changes my opinion. Could be a lot of things you don't know, and maybe we could clarify it. Maybe there isn't a clarification. You just think one way and I think another, and then, you know, at that point, we have to go with what the elders say, and you have to work to promote. You have to work to fall in line. You have to work for unity. I would say that this is, uh, passage is difficult for both. It's difficult to be an elder, to lead in this kind of way. It's difficult to be a, a member and to try to work to promote. And the thing that I think ties these two together is in verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Just don't consider yourself... Better than someone else. It's what Jesus did. If we're all following him together, it's not to say there won't be bumps on the road. But I think we'll cut a straight path towards the direction God wants us and we'll leave a path for people to see him. Let's pray together.